impact. Jesus commands believers to be salt and light in every aspect of their lives. Join us today as Senior Pastor Dean Hunter speaks with believers who are making an impact for the cause of Christ and through their testimony are encouraging others to impact their world. Hello and welcome to the Impact Podcast with Dean Hunter. My name is Dean Hunter and I am so glad that you chose to listen in today for our fifth podcast so far. And uh, we are honored to have a very special guest with us today, Miss Hannah Arrowwood. Uh, you've had the pleasure, we've had the pleasure of having you at our church speaking, but we're really honored to have you here today on the podcast. And just a reminder, the Impact Podcast is uh, all about highlighting, introducing you to people who are making an impact for Christ, being salt and light in our community. And um, Hannah Arrowwood is one of those individuals. She is the founder and executive director of Present Age Ministries, which is an international nonprofit ministry that is committed to combating sexual abuse, exploitation, and trafficking of teen girls around the world. Uh, many of the listeners probably have heard of Hannah Arrowwood and uh, Present Age Ministries, but we certainly are honored to have you with us today uh, to be here and to share about your ministry and um, tell us a little bit about yourself to get to know Hannah Arrowwood a little better. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's a it's a pleasure to be here and with the listeners today. So a little bit about me. Um, well, I'm married. Um, my husband and I have been married for quite a long time. We have two adult daughters, one who just recently got married, one who is finishing up college um, out on the West Coast, soon to be home. This mama is happy that she will be back on the East Coast. And, um, and I have a dog who is my empty nest love. <laughs> you know, when, you, when your kids move out of the house, you just need to fill your time with something. But um, my dog actually is also a therapy dog and goes to work with me every day. So it's fun to see her get to love on the girls that we serve at present age and help them transition through trauma and things, which is fun. Right. Yeah. I was I was I was hoping you mentioned the dog because I've, yes. I've heard you speak before and heard you talk about your dog. I'm I'm a dog person and um I didn't know what dog what kind of dog you had though. Yeah, so. she's actually a f f golden doodle. So she's mama's full-blooded golden retriever, dad is full-blooded poodle and yeah, so she makes the per like she doesn't shed, which is great, but is super fluffy and cuddly for the girls. Right. It's so fun. Well, good. Um I have boxers. I, we had a boxer before. Well, we we grew up having boxers, so I know that world also. <laughs> uh, I'm done with this world when it's over. But anyway, <laughs> well, um, I I know, and once again, I, I want our listeners to to learn about uh, not just who you are, but who you represent. Um, I know about Present Age Ministries, and as this conversation progresses, I want more people to know yeah. exactly what you do. Uh, part of the purpose of having you is to make parents, make our community aware, make churches aware. Uh, yeah. Prayerfully, there are pastors that listen to this podcast often, and part of my purpose in um, every person I interview is to uh, to be a resource to pastors, and we've had several that hopefully that helped, and today I'm sure uh, what you uh, represent and who you represent will help a lot of pastors in our area. And so from my understanding, and maybe you can um, shed a little light on this, Part of your calling into ministry had to do with your upbringing or your family. It's true. Maybe you can um, walk us through Share that as much that. as you'd yeah. like. So um, I am a third generation PK. So um, have 
grew up in the church, grew up sleeping under the pews. You were there, you know, every time the doors open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays, and don't forget the fellowship lunches, you know? Um, And I actually grew up in Tennessee and we lived in the parsonage. That's not a thing anymore. But so when I say literally it was church all day, every day, it really was because people would just stop by. And um, so that's the foundation of what I knew. Um, And somebody was always going to tell when I misbehaved. It was a thing. And, you know, I was that rowdy one. <laughs> so, you know, it, that was that was my upbringing. Um, so thankful for the heritage, but so thankful for the foundation. But things kind of got a little wonky, as I like to say, when I was in the teenage years. Um, we actually moved to Charlotte f- to do a church plant. That's how we got to Charlotte from Tennessee. And the land that we actually purchased was being utilized by a satanic cult. We didn't know that, obviously, at the time. Um, but there became a literal war over territory. Um, and you can, I mean, we, that could be another podcast of the things that we were exposed to and experienced, um, with my family being at the bullseye of the target, um, because in order to eliminate and remove this church, you have to eliminate and destroy the leader. I mean, that was the strategy of the occult. So, I mean, lots and lots of crisis, lots of chaos, lots of trauma in those years that I didn't know was trauma for more than probably a decade of my life. And then unwinding all of that, I was like, oh wait, you mean that's not normal? It's not normal when someone knocks on your door that you go and you hide in your closet? That's not normal? Oh, good. Good to know. But that, I mean, that's how I spent my twenties is figuring out like things weren't normal and God bless my husband. He walked it, you know, we got married when I was, um, we were both pretty young and he had no clue about this. This was, had all just ended after that. And so there was this reality of, uh, I just didn't want to talk about it. That was a part of my life. It was like, I didn't want to talk about it. It's over. Um, I don't have a relationship with my father. He remained connected to that world. The, so what happened is, is he ended up having an affair with one of the ladies in the occult. So, I mean, it just got very bad, very quickly. Um, and there was always a threat, physical threat to my life and to my family. And so, um, when you have people threatening to kill you and stalking you, you just kind of want to leave them alone. Right. <laughs> like I'm just trying to be normal. So that was my experience and my exposure um, in my teenage years. So lots of lots of heartache. Get married and I'm ready just to move on. And then I start to like unravel like, wait, this isn't normal. And there was a, um, I experienced sexual trauma. I experienced lots of um, abandonment. I had tons of abandonment issues, tons of attachment issues because so much of my life felt like a lie now and what was real then and what wasn't real. So for me, I'm like, I am as type as type A as they come. So I was like, I'm about to prove everybody wrong. I'm, a, you know, so I put myself through school. Um, my husband and I got married and, it, you know, had two girls that we were raising. And I just went to corporate America and was like, really wanted nothing to do with ministry. Um, I mean, there was a period of several years where I had, I had never even stepped across the threshold of a church because I just didn't, it wasn't safe. It didn't, it literally wasn't safe for right, me. Right. And um, so I spent a lot of years trying to unravel that. And as I did, the Lord very clearly um, made it clear to me that I, I knew that at Corporate America wasn't supposed to be, wasn't supposed to be fast, fast forward a decade. And I was wrestling with, do I leave? And if I do, what does this look like? And obviously lots of healing had taken place and lots of um, work had been done emotionally, spiritually, psychologically to, to, to find regulation in my own self. And I remember um, just this prompting from the Holy Spirit of like, you need to forgive her and you need to forgive your father. And it sent me on this journey of going, 
oh my gosh. And it led me down to, to this realization of like, I knew a lot about her, the, the individual that my father had had an affair with. And what I realized on this journey was she is who God was sending me after. You fast forward because she was sold to the occult by her grandfather when she was five. She was used in all of their sexual rituals. Um, she was trafficked. Uh, for lack of a better word. Um, we can call it something else in satanic rituals, but the reality is she was trafficked. Right. And he was like, if you can't love her, you can't do this, what I'm calling you to. And it sent me on this journey of like deep reflection and and really trying to understand the heart of the father of, I couldn't in my own strength love her and forgive her. I couldn't do it, Dean. Right. And yet there was this supernatural thing that came over me that I was compelled to. Right. And like my heart hurt for her. And <laughs> those things did not go together. Right. Um, well, let me ask this because yeah. I think we fast forwarded quickly. Yeah. So you're a believer at this point. Yes. Is yes. Before, so when did that happen? Yeah. How, what did that yeah. look like? That's great. So I actually was became a believer at a young age and like was sold out for Jesus. And then all of this happened. Right. And I okay. was like, bump this. Yep. I don't. So I spent all of my childhood you know, as, as a believer and loving the Lord and loving all of the things um, that that life represented. And then from about 15 to 19 is where I was just not sure. And this is the way I would describe it, Dean. I was like, I love Jesus and I love God, but this is not for me. Right. And I couldn't reconcile them. And so in not reconciling them, you just start to go down paths very quickly that are just destructive and dangerous in a life of the world, um, which is where I found myself. And so um, I actually had a baby. I had a, a daughter when I was 17. And so that began this like, wait, I can't do this. I can't go on this path because if I do that, then I can't raise her to know God and in the church. And I want her there. I just don't feel like I can trust it. And so there was this wrestle, bat, there was this battle right. for about two years of like, how do I reconcile these things? Right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I assume yeah. as much that yeah, you're yeah, a yeah. believer because the, Great Holy, distinction. the Holy Spirit doesn't come to people and convict them of unforgiveness uh, unless you're a believer. Point. And so uh, I just wanted to make, make that clear. And you said something, and, and I I preach this. We, we all have a story. We all have a testimony. Uh, in the church, unfortunately, there's a lot of um, dress clothes that cover up a lot of our mm-hmm. stories that people don't know. And um, I, I'm a huge proponent, this is going to sound odd coming yeah. from a Baptist preacher, uh, of forgiveness and how mm-hmm. much unforgiveness is present maybe prevalent in churches where mm-hmm. people just haven't forgiven. And the, my church has heard me preach that. I had to come to that place. It's not about my testimony right now, but I heard a quote years ago, and it's probably, um, it's definitely not original, but but unforgiveness is like drinking poison yeah. and expecting someone else to die. Yeah. And so uh, I, I know, based on what I know about present age ministries, that Maybe this time in your life was a, a catapult. It was. It a, was the catalyst. Yeah, for catalyst sure. To get you. At a, we were um, at one point. My father and I were trying. He was trying to reconnect and establish a relationship again. And this was, I mean, I was in my mid twenties now. I mean, so almost a decade has gone by at this point. And we were meeting with my pastor at the time because I didn't feel safe alone with him. I mean, when you have your father look at you and say, "I never drive the same way to meet you twice because they're always watching," I'm like, <laughs> "What?" Yeah. My brain can't comprehend that. But I remember um, we would sit there and he, we would talk and we would share and we would just, I would ask lots of questions because I had lots of questions. Um, and we got up one time and my pastor looked at me and he just grabbed my arm and he said, Hannah, he said, I can see you're wrestling. He goes, I, your heart is pure. Like you're, you want to honor the Lord in this. He said, but forgiveness does not mean tolerance. Yeah. And this man is toxic. Mm-hmm. 
and you can forgive him and let him go and not tolerate this in your life. And I, it became the freedom because I wanted so desperately to forgive. Right. And I was trying to manufacture, how do I do this? But I knew that I couldn't have a relationship with him. Like you're telling me that people follow you and are still coming after us. That, that This isn't reconcile. And again, right. as, a, as a young mom with two young girls and just wanting to protect and wanting to love, but also wanting to honor the Lord, it was the thing that freed me of going, oh, I can forgive, but also put up healthy boundaries, right. and those things can coexist. Right, and that's very important. Correct. Um, and I think it's biblical, quite yes. honestly. Yes. Um, let me ask this, and this is a leading question, just to yeah. kind of talk about this forgiveness piece really quick. Did your dad ever ask you to forgive him? He did. He did. He did. So the, the second part of that is, is that what caused you to approach him? Or um, did you approach him before he asked? I approached him before he asked. So that that was the better question there yeah. because um, I think it's that's super important for believers. And, and once again, there's testimony in my life, testimony mm-hmm. in my mom's life, a lot of family issues to where I have taught and I had to do it myself. You may have to forgive. It's not contingent on them. Even if they never acknowledge they did anything so true. that needed forgiveness. So, and that's really what you did. You approached Absolutely. it as a believer, mm-hmm. full of the Holy Spirit. It was Spirit. a mandate. Yeah, it was a mandate right, from exactly. the Lord. It was a mandate from the yeah. Word of God. Is it safe to say, and I think I know the answer, that without doing that, you couldn't have. There's no way you, President you would exist. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I, that, if there's one thing I'm confident on, it's that. Because it cleared the, the dirt, for lack of a better word, inside of me. Right. Again, right. awful things had happened to me. So like the world will tell you you have a right to be mad. You have yeah. a right to be, you know, but the word of God says that you offer and you extend forgiveness, right? Yeah. That then allowed me to have space and capacity for the Lord to lead and guide differently. Right. Um, and I'm confident of that. This present age wouldn't exist without those moments. Exactly. Anything else leading up to the... I think that those were the big moments and that became this, this moment. I remember, so I actually called her, um, now, I was smart about it. I went and bought a burner phone. We went to a different state. Like, I was like, I ain't trying to, like, fe- y'all be able to track me down. But, um, and, and here's the thing that I think I felt very strongly that the Lord was leading that. I think there's times where I've had to forgiven people and there's been no conversation. There's been no interaction. But there was something in this. And um, it was terrifying. I mean, it was also facing fear. Do I believe and trust God over? There was so much in it, Dean. But here's the thing that I got in that moment. When I called her and said, I just want you to know that I forgive you. And I, I really want you to know that Jesus loves you. Like it was, that, that was all I, and I expected just to hang up the phone. <laughs> it was obedience check. Right. But here's what I got is I never meant to destroy your family. And I got closure because I was obedient. And so like I've walked away, like not wondering of like, is this person always going to just come after me and my family? And do I always have to kind of like be on guard? Um, because I actually saw her brokenness and what had been done to her and hurt people, hurt people. And so I, I, I gained some insight and maturity to understand how this, how we got to that place. But it also gave me closure by walking out forgiveness, which right. was beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's safe to say, just like you're saying, even in the, the, um, the founding and the beginning of your ministry now that that wouldn't have been possible. And I, I think there's so many people that can learn that lesson God has a plan for you. Yep. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to serve him in freedom. He wants you to want to serve him. Absolutely. But so many people have so much inside that they just haven't dealt with. And it's a lot of that's unforgiveness. So true. So, so true. Um, kind of unlocks this. It does. It's a key. It it's a it. key that uh, it's a key to the kingdom. I say that unlocks 
the the abundance and the fullness of abundance that we can have in a relationship with Jesus when we say yes to it. But it's right. terrifying. It's right. terrifying to like be that be in that place of vulnerability and be in that place of um, releasing the right to the what happens to them. Right. right. Um, but it's so powerful. So you do that, and mm-hmm. um, somehow along the line, you get out of the corporate world. Yep. I'm, I'm assuming you got out of the corporate world because of yep. the kingdom I, world. I yep. walked into the CEO's office and said, I'm out. What are you going to do, Hannah? I have no idea, <laughs> but I know this isn't it. Right. Um, and it began this journey of, I mean, I, I think I would probably spend four or six hours a day, Dean, just sitting with the Lord going, what is happening like, because I felt in that, in those be early, especially that first year, it was like, I've really got to know the heart of God and, and who is he versus what does he want me to do? Because if I know him, then I can be confident to walk whatever out he's asking. So it was way less about that. What this, I didn't know it was going to be this. And I'm glad because I don't know if I would have said yes, if I'm being honest, but it was just this hunger and this pursuit to like know him. And to, to really want my heart was obedience. Right. Um, and him cult- cultivating and crafting that. You have no idea, but last night after church, I had a young 19-year-old come to me, and he's like, I feel like God's calling me to do something. What is it to do? And um, I could have used some of your words right that. there. But but it was basically that, but that knowing him. Yeah. Uh, but I, I use the obedience. Just it's, you don't it's have the to litmus know. test. You don't have to know what he wants right now. Yeah. Be close to him. Be in prayer, yeah. be in Bible study, get to know him. And respond yes quickly. Yeah, and, and just be available and That's say, so hey, whatever. Um, That's so good. So so that works out. So I hope he hears that because um, that literally happened just last night. So, good. so now you're obedient. Uh, you're walking in faith. God, show me. I'm getting close to you. And then what happens? Yeah, so um, I have a business background. So there is there are skills and a, a skill set that I walk out. So I just began to, I'm a diligent person. So when I'm going after something, I just go after it. So I began to sit and as the, as the Lord would kind of direct, I was like, okay, I know we needed, I know this is, this is going to be a nonprofit. So what does that look like? And we began to formulate a board and what does that look like? And a fun story is my husband and I, I mean, I didn't know what that even meant. What is a board, right? Um, I've just was used to executives and spending lots of money. I wasn't used to raising it and approving things, right? Um, but I, my husband and I went to dinner at PF Chang's one night and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You make a list of people. I make a list of people. And if any of them are the same, those are who we start with. I mean, that's literally was our initial strategy. You know, that a we list were, of people, spiritual people, correct. financial people, or a little bit of both, both but yeah. like people that we could thought could help us in this foundational stage of like, how do we do this? Right. Um, five for five, we're all the same. And we were like, so you I, both listed five. We both listed five. Only five. Only five. And they were five the same. All of the same. Okay. And I said, I think that's who we start with. So that, that began, established our founding board. And most of them weren't like friends. It was people we knew, but people we were respected because of whatever. Their business walk, They one was a counselor, one was, it was just people that we thought would have wisdom to speak into the season. And so we just began to do that. So we began to have monthly board meetings and we began to pray. We, we spent so much time in prayer, Dean, of like, God, what are you asking of us? Like, we feel crazy and we feel like we've lost our mind um, in this pursuit of, we knew several things. We knew it was teen girls. We didn't know what, we just knew it was teen girls. And we knew we, the Lord was so clear, like, you're going to have to be willing to go to them. This isn't going to be in the four walls of a church. This isn't going to be like a Christian club kind of thing. Like you're going to have to be willing to go to the ones nobody wants to deal with. That was our framework. 
So we didn't know trafficking. We didn't know it was sexual in nature. We knew teen girls that we would go to that no one wanted to deal with them. And that began this journey of really trying to understand and formulate what is now present age ministries. So you, you have your group, you have your prayer partners, you have mm-hmm. maybe some financial backing, yep. you know, you want to support teenagers and because of time, I'm sure there's a, how, how long did that? We probably stayed in that phase for probably, you know, I would say two to three years, meaning we, we were starting to do things, but it wasn't, I would say around that three year mark is when we really solidified President just committed to combating the sexual abuse, exploitation, and trafficking of teen girls. I mean, it, as every time we did something, it got a little bit clearer. Like, mm-hmm. eh, you know, we we did a ton in the schools in the beginning, and it was co-ed, and it just was like, Bleh. I mean, there's a place for this, but this isn't our sweet spot. Um, at the time, I'd written a book, um, and. I was being asked to go speak at conferences all over the country, Dean. And I never, adver- we never paid a dime for advertising. And people in Mississippi and California and Pennsylvania would call St. Louis. I mean, you name it, I've been everywhere. And we would always say, how did you hear about us? They're like, you know, it's the strangest thing. I just Googled these words and this, it, and it was just wild. Um, but those are, those are the moments, like when we would be speaking, they would always be like, mother-daughter conferences or teen girl conferences and I would have a line of girls to wait to speak to me and they and I would I always traveled with somebody else that was one of the lessons my dad taught me he's like never travel alone because that's when the enemy will go after you so kudos to that lesson that I heeded um but all of them had deep trauma most of it sexual and so it began to just formulate like there's a there's a pattern we're seeing doesn't matter where we are, that we have girls that would literally like lay in my lap and sob as they tell their stories of sexual trauma. And, and so that began to really solidify we're committed to combating right. the sexual abuse, exploitation, okay. and trafficking right. of teen girls. So what year did President Age Ministries 2009. actually 2009. 2009, okay. We're celebrating 14 years on November 2nd. All right, Woo-hoo. congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so we know based on your your vision, even on your website, uh, what you're here to do. I'm, I'm curious to know what that looks like on a daily basis. Yeah. So present ages has three distinct, um, legs of the chair. If you, if you will, uh, advocacy and training, we, um, because of our experience now and because of, um, we've just are a trusted, we're trusted in the community. We get called to do tons of training with professionals. So we do basic law enforcement training. We do training with EMS, with nurses in the emergency room, with school teachers, um, you, you name it, church staff. I mean, it, anybody that could interact with kiddos are, we could potentially go train. Um, and that comes directly from our experience it's not book knowledge. It's here's like real time and it up, we update it all the time. So advocacy and training is a big deal. Um, prevention is the piece that in my, for me is like such the heartbeat for me because having, if you've experienced trauma as a child, you, you, you deal with the, there's ramifications of that throughout your life. You, I believe in a full freedom, but you have to work for it. Mm. I mean, the reality of it is, is that you never know when you're going to get triggered. And then you have to apply what you've learned to like regulate back. I mean, it's just a reality. And so if we can prevent that a hundred times all day long, let's do that. And so the way that we do that is we have, we have developed curriculum from our experience working with survivors that has been, there's a, we have a K-5 curriculum 
that starts the conversation about safe touch and sexual abuse prevention. Um, and then we also have a six um, through eight prevention uh, curriculum that is, we call it the illusion of love. And it's really breaking down how kids are so easily groomed because of vulnerabilities. So we highlight vulnerabilities and we, we show how easy it is for said person to just manipulate that. Um, so prevention for us is a big deal. Um, we work really closely with school systems. We work really closely with youth groups or boys and girls clubs, after school clubs, things like that, to get accurate information in the hands of kids, to give them vocabulary. Dean, if there's one thing that I've learned in being in the schools and having staff go into the schools all the time, we expect these kids to have the vocabulary to say something's wrong. But who's told them something's wrong? I mean, the, the example that I give all the time, the most common age of a sexual abuse is zero to five years old. Well, if that's the case, the, it's most often that the person who abused them is someone they should be able to trust or someone who has close access to that family. Well, therefore, they don't know that it's wrong. It's been presented as love, special, you know, all of the things. So at what point are they told that this isn't normal and it's wrong? And it's not until that point that they even have the vocabulary to express anything, but they know inside something's wrong. Right. It usually manifests in anger or promiscuous behavior or outburst or depression because something's off, but they don't have words to say, well, here's why it's off because my dad every night comes into my bedroom. Like they don't have that. Right. And so prevention is so important because it gives them vocabulary to start to have a conversation and that gives them access to healing. So prevention's a big deal to us. And then that third leg is direct services. We, if a child is, um, if there's concern that a child is being sexually exploited or trafficked, it is protocol within Mecklenburg County, Cabarrus County, and others are starting to implement it that they call present age ministries. So youth and family services, department of juvenile justice, law enforcement, school systems, they're calling us. They're referring this child to us saying, please help and do this journey of healing with her. And so um, those are the three legs of what present age looks like and how we operate day to day. And then within each of those facets, it looks very different. Whether we're in schools, doing presentations, whether we're doing home visits and we're meeting with a 13-year-old who's been identified as a victim of trafficking and, her, and their family, and we're connecting her to counselors, or we're talking to a school teacher because oh, we've identified her and now we realize she's a year behind in school, but she just got passed along. So the work that she's being asked to do in ninth grade, there's no way possible she's right. going to do it. Not to mention her brain is dealing with complex trauma. Right. So to sit and study for a math test, good luck, not happening. Yeah. So every day looks a little bit different depending on a job and depending on who's doing it, but those are the areas in which we're operating every day. So, so that's a lot. Obviously, you stay busy and have staff to do that and help yeah. you in so many ways. A couple of things I want to point out that that I've been familiar with and, and within the school system that I think is so important. And one of the questions I was going to ask you or, or, or ask you to to provide was information that would wake us up. Mm-hmm. And I I know that sounds like the obvious, like you probably hear that all the time. I, I hope you know that's what everybody that has you come speak. Wants me to do. Wants you to do is Kick wake it. up parents, yeah. wake up the church, wake up a community. Oh, I can do that. To, to reality because, um, and I've been in this world long enough, in the church world long enough, and I say this often, you know, 20 years ago, if a pastor would have said ABC, people would have looked at him like, who is this guy and what's he thinking? Yeah. Today, and that, that covers a, a multitude of subjects, especially this subject. And so you, you said something that should wake us up already. Mm-hmm. 
without me asking you to wake us up, which mm-hmm. is um, most of it begins zero to five. Yeah. Um, many people know I'm on the board of education. I'm around education. My wife's an educator. And what woke me up years ago was basically what you said. Yeah. That the vocabulary isn't there because there's so many kids. It's pre-verbal. Who don't know any different. Correct. Now, my family was messed up. There's no question my family was messed up. (laughs) But yet that's foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people in church especially, you know, we had your stepdad, stepmom, had a broken Mm -hmm. family, had this or that abuse or alcoholism or drugs. Mm -hmm. But that... That's something that woke me up years ago, and yeah. I and I hope that's something that wakes us up today, wakes up pastors, wakes up educators, wakes up families that we deal with children yes. who are living a lifestyle that is abominable, but they have no idea it is. Yeah. And that's so foreign to us. So can we go there for a minute? Yeah. Okay, so I love this. And most pastors, when I do podcasts, we get here, which is my favorite thing. So being a pastor's kid who had sexual abuse in her childhood— there is no place to talk about it in the church. Um, it's, and here, here's what I experienced as a, as a, a person who walked this out is that you walk into church and so it, you're supposed to look a certain way. You're supposed to act a certain way. We say, come as you are, you know, just as I am, <laughs> I'll break out in song to you. But the reality of it is, is that so often because the church is made up of people who haven't usually dealt with their own stuff, like they're, that can be a difficult place, a place of tension of, can I actually come as I am? Um, And so I think one of the things that I encourage pastors, I encourage churches to do is like, if you aren't initiating the conversations in the context of church, then who is? Because if it's not the safe place to engage in those conversations without judgment and without shame, and not just for the one who's been abused, but what about the people that are addicted to pornography? What about that husband who's been cheating on his wife, but doesn't know who to tell and now feels convicted about it, but once, but recognizes he had an issue. What, whatever, when it comes to sexual morality, there's lots of ways it can play out. But the reality of it is, is that sex is such a taboo topic within the confines of marriage, uh, outside of the confines of marriage and talking about it within the church that it just doesn't talk, isn't talked about. And so therefore that, eight-year-old who now is realizing something's wrong, that 13-year-old is really something wrong. The church is not the place they're going to for the answer. They're going to their friends at school because they're not judged. They don't feel shame. And they feel like there is a, a welcome atmosphere to have that conversation. And we know how that conversation is going to go. It's not going to go the way that it needs to go. Right. So there's got to be a shift somehow. And how do we engage in those conversations? When I, when I have youth pastors ask me all the time, well, how do you start that conversation? I was like, you start it. You get gender on gender. Don't don't have males do it with females. Don't have females do it with males. But have you ever been exposed to this? Have you ever had this happen? Have you ever had that? Like you just, and when you start asking the questions and you realize that almost 100% of them have, you now realize that you're, you've got to play catch up. Yeah. And that, so I think there has to be just initial, there has to be a willingness to have those conversations. Um, I raised two daughters through this whole process of doing present age. And every time I would learn something from a girl, I would like, whether it was an app or whether it was something that happened online, most of this is online and we'll get there. Um, I would come home and ask my girls, hey, do you know about this app, middle and high school age? Mom, yeah, it's been out for forever. What? You know, it's my job to keep up. Mm. And I realized that even though they were sheltered, I mean, we are, we're very strict parents. 
um, and they were very sheltered in that, in that, and they'll, they thank us for it now. They were still exposed because they're at school. Right. And we have to, that's something parents have right. to realize. You can do your very best, but we live in a broken world. You will not safeguard them from everything. And so as parents, we have to decide, how am I going to prepare them for when they are versus thinking that I can do everything in my power to never right. have them be exposed. Right. And so you're saying the church ought to be having those conversations. Mm-hmm. But I also hear you, and I think we would agree, the priority should be on the oh, families. Sure. The parents should of be course, having those with, conversations. Of course. Yeah, of we, course. I had um, Natalie Atwell on yes. last time, and Dear we went into the counseling. and. Yep. And um, we we grew up together. We've got kids about the same age. I've yeah. got a thirteen year old, and 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 we're having a lot of. We've already mm-hmm. started, but um, the the thing that I teach and that I preach, and not that I mm-hmm. do it all right and we all don't, the time, we don't for sure. Is they're going to hear it from someone. It's going to be me. Don't you want it to hear it? Mm-hmm. Don't you want them to hear it from you first? Absolutely. And so, because people continuously, Natalie and I had that. Say, well, how early do you start? As <laughs> And so it's like the question, my, I answer that question with a question, who do you want them to hear it from first? Absolutely. So if they're in public school or mm-hmm. private school, I've taught private school, they're correct. They're not perfect saints. Um, even homeschool today, people think homeschool gets, well, we have homeschool co-ops They're going to be these exposed. kids are around people. And, and sometimes co-ops are not just because they want homeschool. Sometimes kids are in homeschool because there's no other option. And yeah. so there's, oh, yeah. there is an exposure right. that we oh, have yeah. to recognize. And I'm with you, yeah. Dean. I mean, the, the conversation should always be starting at, with, at home by parents around the dinner table. If you don't have dinner with your kids, start there. Just do yeah. that because it has to be normal for them to conversate with you. you I, one of the things that I see that's the most discouraging um, as somebody who deals with very dysfunctional families um, for a living is when parents are so confident that their kids are going to come tell them when something's wrong. I'm like, really? So what have you set as the foundation for that to be the precedent? And they they can't answer it. It's just they just have this hope and belief that that's what would happen. But if you're not talking about everyday mundane things, then they're not going to come talk to you about when the bad thing is, right. especially if they feel shame or if they feel guilt about it in any capacity. You know, even if we if we kind of go in a little bit to what we do, if they feel like they're being groomed or recruited online, right? If they were online when they weren't supposed to be, they're not telling you. Because now they feel guilt and shame that they were on there and they know that they were disobeying you. Even though if something's wrong, now they feel like it's their fault, even though it's not their fault. I mean, that's, that's the cycle that we get into. And so we have to, parents just really have to work hard to create that safety and that security in the everyday so that when something out of the ordinary happens, they know that there's a foundation for their kids to, to lean on. Right. And, I, and having kids and being a youth pastor for 12 years mm-hmm. and teaching school like I did and now pastor, it's... It's nothing new. We've been saying this. It's exactly. And I think, if anything, how far we've come in a sin-cursed world has really just reinforced, you've got to be having these conversations. You've yeah. got to have a healthy relationship with your parents. Uh, now, I'll say this, and, and maybe you have an opinion about it, but um, what I have tried to do, what we try to do as a, as a church and me as a pastor is provide resources. So good. So, um, and I could give... And access. Yeah, I could give very... Mm-hmm. 
we do it varied in different yeah. in different ways, even in the counseling world. Um, so good. For me, sometimes pastors try to counsel in a way they're not qualified to counsel. And then, good, Dane. then people get into the, well, do you not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? Yeah, but I'm going to believe in someone who's a professional who's done this for 20 years to you use Scripture. You need to know what your line is. To use Scripture. And so we do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and now even having present age ministries as a resource. So, Absolutely. So that parent that may not have the greatest relationship but finds out, says, hey, Here's a resource. Exactly. And so that's part of why I wanted you to be here that. is for parents, for pastors to say, I, I would hate to know, and I don't, you probably know the stats of, uh, or the figures of who doesn't know about present age ministries, but I find a lot of times churches don't know about yeah. people right next door in the community next to them. So, uh, and that's what we do, but we want to, we want to um, foster and help that parent relationship. It's so good. But also provide churches with, outside and here here's Christian professional organizations yes. who can help you with the word of God because we do believe in the sufficiency Absolutely. of scripture. And so um that's that's, really that's part of what we're here for. But just go back, you can't and I see it. If you're a parent you see it. If you're involved in schools you see it. You certainly see it. You can't undervalue that relationship with the parents. And it's, then when you look vital. today at America, don't want to go there with the lack of homes, the lack of Mm-hmm. you know, um, traditional mom, dad, kids. Yeah. It just compounds the problem. So I'll tell you, Dean, when it comes to stats, I do actually have some. One, we track what is called adverse childhood experiences of all of the girls that have been identified as victims of sexual exploitation and trafficking. And what those are just things that have happened before their 18th birthday that creates um, difficulty. It creates a vulnerability. So abuse, neglect, Household challenges like domestic violence, incarceration, parent separation, things like that. We track those. And the number one is parent separation. And I think as a believer and someone who believes in the, 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 a family model is I think we underestimate the reality of what a broken home does to a child. And, and we, have to, we have to figure that out. Right. Because, I mean, second, a close second is past sexual abuse. These girls that we're serving and working with have a history of sexual abuse. And like we've already explained, they don't have the vocabulary to say something's wrong to get the help when they need it. So it just creates this vulnerability. But when you partner that with most often, I don't have a dad who lives in my house, even if there's a divorce, even if there was, you know, remarriage and you've done the best that you can. Great. Acknowledge the reality. And I think that's where we're failing. It's like, I get that there's times and reasons. I mean, I'm glad my mom walked away, right? Because yeah. it was literally, we might not be alive. I'm not trying to be dramatic, no. but that's no. what it is. We still have to acknowledge the reality that I've spent the last 25 years of my life without a father. And there's a reality to that. And thank God, you know, he saw fit to bring godly men who have been spiritual fathers. It doesn't change the fact that there that is a void and creates a vulnerability. Oh, yeah. And so I think we just have to be real about that yeah. and not be like, oh, kids are resilient. They're going to be fine. And look how, you know, it, that that may be true. It's still reality that we have to address. And what it does, and you, you sound like a preacher preaching this, um, <laughs> and, and sometimes even as a pastor, you preach this and you feel almost guilty because you look at your church and you know yeah. 30, 40% might be from a, a broken home or stepmom, stepdad. And, and I say this often. I had a stepdad. Yeah. I, I, once again, there's a story there. but yeah. And I look back and I thank God for the things I did learn. Absolutely. But I know I have dealt with it all of my life. 
and will continue Correct. to deal with it all of my life. And what it does, and and we can't be cowards as pastors and preachers and teachers to say, oh, but mm-hmm. yeah, thank God that some of it works out and you get a good stepdad Absolutely. or a good stepmom and, uh, and a good situation. Praise God. But I, I always kind of facetiously come back and say, isn't it amazing how smart God is? Mm-hmm. That when he established the family, he said, this is how it should be. Absolutely. And now we are seeing. The impact of when it's not that way. Yeah. I and had a, this is, this changed my life. And this was only recently. I had a young girl say to, say to me, you know, victim that we are working with. And she said, you want me to tell you what makes me so angry? And I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> she said, I hate when people say you're so strong. And I said, okay, tell me more. Why? She goes, I didn't have a choice. And so I think sometimes we so often can say we can see strength in someone because they're in a situation that they're having to walk through without acknowledging the reality that they never asked to walk through that situation. And for a 14-year-old who's been a, was raped 10 times a night for six months and someone saying like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You're so strong. To her, she's like, how about you just say that sucks? And I'm so proud that you got up today out of bed because it'd be really easy to not. And I think that that's the reality. Like we can be so quick to go to the, the glass is half, half full without acknowledging that someone knocked over the glass and almost shattered it and we just barely kept some water in it. Right. And, and I think that, that people just need to be validated and, and, and be heard that like, this is hard. It, not having X, Y, and Z happen was just really, really hard. And it doesn't diminish the fact that they're doing good because we acknowledge that it also is hard. And I just think we get uncomfortable with that. Oh, yeah. I was, I'm glad you used that word. I was going to, in a weird way, defend parents, schools, mm-hmm. churches, because they're uncomfortable, because so they don't uncomfortable. know. And so that's my challenge and my uh, challenge yeah. to, to, to pastors, to churches, to parents, to schools, yeah. um, is, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Pay attention are, to the tension. Pay attention to it. But there are people to help. Yes. Use yes. them as a resource. Absolutely. Use them as a, the old word was a parachurch organization. Yeah. And now it's, and we try to do that. Um, yeah. We we are running out of time. I know. Um, which I know this could be several podcasts. You could podcasts, do this all the time. <laughs> exactly. And um, especially two people that like to talk. And so I can tell that's happening. But yeah. um, I kind of to tie up some, any loose ends and, and to really piggyback on what I just said, a couple things I, I would like for you to maybe conclude with is your needs, mm-hmm. present age ministries needs, um, and how people, churches, families can be involved to help. Yeah. Uh, I think you are more of a help, mm. but we have to help you so you can help us yeah. and help others. And I love that. all that works out that way. Yeah. So maybe just kind of conclude with where you're at now, what are your needs, what are visions and, yeah. and how a church can be involved and how you can be involved with the church. Absolutely. So I will we'll say if anybody visits our website, we have a resource page that's full of resources for parents based on age of child. So just making sure everyone knows that that's there. Everything from social media guide, internet guide, how to have hard conversations, how to de-escalate, how to deal with trauma, all the things based like K through five, six, eight, in high school. So just know that those resources are out there free. You can download them, use them as you will. I think for us, we... Um, have been positioned in the the region to be a solution, and that is only increasing. Um, We are seeing astronomical rates of not only increased in referrals, but also that men's 
then means all of the services that we provide also are increasing and all of those have dollar signs attached. Um, we, you know, just even in 2023 ending this summer, we have over a $50,000 deficit just from four services that we've provided to girls over during this year based on last year. So the financial need is huge. Um, so we, this is the way that I tell people, if you want to never think about it again, but you want to be involved, give $7 a month. You'll never, you'll never see it again. You'll never think about it again, but it will create a sustainability platform for us that we can just build and scaffold on. Because if a hundred people do that at $700, if a thousand people do it at $7,000, it just multiplies so quickly. Um, and you won't think about it. I promise, you know, that $50 one, you might, if things get tight, that $100 one, $7, you're never going to think about it. It's less than the cost of a movie ticket. Um, so that's one of the ways that we encourage. There's lots of people who feel this like deeply and they're like, I'm supposed to be involved in this. We have a, a volunteer pathway that starts digitally. So it's just watching an info session about who we are and the different paths that you can go. So if someone's like, I want to get involved, you can just email us at info at presentageministries.org and we will start you on that process. And we, our team does a great job of walking along that with you to like, what does that look like? Do I go to, into the schools? Do I mentor a, girl, a victim? Do I help provide transportation? There's lots of different ways. And the church, I need the church to step up uh, and in very practical ways. And that can look like just talking about this regularly. Do you know this is an issue in our city? Like, are we praying about it? Um, putting it on the forefront of a congregation's mind versus just once a year, because everything's out of sight, out of mind. But this impacts all of us, whether we realize it or not. Um, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So I always encourage pastors, like, preach a sermon on it. Like, just talk about it um, because it still is so foreign to so many people. They think it's happening in Mexico. They think it's happening in Thailand, which it is, but they forget that it's happening in the neighborhood that they live in. Mm -hmm. And so I just need people to, and churches and pastors to help make it real to, to communities because it still is such a hard conversation to talk about. We just don't most of the time. So I think those are just practically ways that individuals can get involved, churches can get involved, but also know that we're a resource. Yeah. Reach out. There's so much information on our website, but you can actually even refer someone from our website. You can donate on our website. There's Our website is a great tool because we know it's hard. People don't always know how to initiate the conversation. So we try to have a lot of that started for people so that right. they can just yeah. respond. Yeah, I've, I've been on the website, and I would encourage people to go to presentageministries.org. Correct. And there is a, a wealth of information there. Um, two examples of for the church, for the pastor who might be listening and how they can be involved. Of course, we're we're involved. We're looking at more ways we can be involved. We've had you come to speak. Yeah. We, we give monthly. Um, I, I hope some of our people give individually as well. We are looking at some service projects yeah. where our students get involved, thinking about having you or some of your it. people come mm -hmm. to talk to our students. So I, I feel like we're doing that. But I, I used to say this, and I don't know how many people, pastors, Christians, agree with this. But when I when we support, we support you as a missionary. Yeah, I mean that's the way we, we do a lot of things like that's that. What it but, is, and and I used to say this about missions, like we support, especially as Southern Baptists, we support missionaries who are in places right now that you'll never go. Mm -hmm. you don't want to go to yep, and would probably say no, if God asked you to potentially. Yeah. I look at present age, present age ministries as, as a mission and a yeah. missionary who I could say the same thing. Absolutely. You don't want to talk about this. You don't want to go here, but somebody's doing it. 
but they need your help. Yeah. The other thing that I've heard, I heard from a pastor years and years ago, and I use it often, is anything worth having cost? Amen. <laughs> it might be money. Usually mm-hmm. is in America, but it's going to cost time. It's going to cost sacrifice. It's, it's going to cost. And I hope if people hear anything at the conclusion of this is there's a cost attached to what you do Absolutely. and your ministry does and that um, people would be involved, that parents would take advantage of the resources. We'll put a lot of this information on the show notes on, on um, when people go to find the podcast and website, how to get in, in contact. And you're right, $7, you, you probably won't miss that. You won't. Not only does it cost more than that to go to a movie, if you're going to eat anything there. If you get popcorn and yeah, some M&Ms, it's, you're yeah, looking at a good, a solid 30 or $40. That's <laughs> why I hear you have to go to the gym theater here in Canapolis. Yes, so yeah. Get out of that. But it's fun. Hannah, it's been great. Um, Thanks, Dean. We've been talking a while, and I'm sure we could talk this much longer. We'll just have to do it again sometime. So we appreciate what Present Age yeah. Ministries does, what you do, um, being salt and light, impacting our culture right here in our, our community and And uh, we've been honored to have you with us today. So thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina is making an impact for the cause of Christ. Come, worship with us. Visit our website at cbckannapolis.com for more information about our ministries impacting our families and community.